0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back another episode this week of Reform This. It is an honor to be with you. Thank you for coming back and sorry I was away last week but I was traveling to Lisbon, Portugal to attend Web Summit and unable to uh, get uh, the podcast done while uh, traveling but with all the time zone changes and uh, uh, I am going to catch up with you now and uh, get you caught up to speed about what happened at websummit.com and my first experience there with them this was their second meeting uh, but uh, fascinating they consider themselves the davos of the internet and it world if you will um and uh, i think there's a lot of potential there but also uh, some disappointment as to where they are in one of what i think is the most significant security threat uh, of the time uh, we'll get to that in a second but again if this is your first time At Reform This, I think you're going to find that voice, that rational Muslim voice that you've been looking for, uh, and Muslim unafraid to uh, address the most controversial topics that you likely won't find elsewhere. Week to week, you and I together will try to figure out not only what the problem is, but what are some rational solutions? How do we address reform? How do we address modernity? How do we treat the real root causes rather than the symptoms and the manifestations of extremism, which is a symptom of an underlying dogma that needs to be modernized. And I think here's where it begins. We will begin to put the pieces together so that you, as the ambassadors of these ideas, can go on to effectuate change. You know, when I attended Web Summit, I went, took a a week away, and uh, felt that uh, I could... Hopefully engage some of the leaders. You look at the uh, uh, speakers there, including everybody from Al Gore to Stephen Hawking to uh, the uh, head of major billion dollar IT companies that uh, uh, are serial entrepreneurs that have done quite a bit to change this world. And if there's any way I think that we can lob it over the current Islamist establishment globally, it is through the Internet, it is through social media, and there was nothing that, that was more depictive, that was more educational of the changes that can happen than the Arab Awakening. We saw a transformation that brought dictatorships to their knees, and some of them buckled, and some had to escape. The Middle East with their parachutes into some haven with another dictatorship. The Tunisian king was the first to go. The Libyan dictatorship was was brought down as Qaddafi was defeated. The Egyptian dictatorship also was brought down. Mubarak was defeated. The Yemeni anarchy, if you will, was also further disrupted. Syria has continued to be a bloody bloody civil war and it's not a civil war as you and I have talked about many times it is a regional conflict that whose vacuum that the technology the youtube revolution that thought they thought the world would pay attention but unfortunately it has continued to implode within itself all of this was brought by technology networking grassroots dominating a power a power infrastructure that created an ability to communicate that was not present in closed societies before. But it failed because they didn't have the civil society, they did not have the infrastructure or the protections from the free world, not military, but support from this free world that would have been necessary, or the obstacles from other autocrats who wanted to see their brother autocrats of Assad kings, monarchs, to continue to survive as they have, into a time that their days are numbered, but into a time in which the global establishment was not ready to see them go because we continue to play this game of thrones. But at the Web Summit, I participated in a panel, supposedly moderated, immoderately I must say, by a guy who has a YouTube channel called uh, The Young Turks now, interesting name for it the name of um, the militant movement, if you will, that so many, many feel and I think appropriately was ultimately responsible for the genocide against the Armenians. But anyway, that odd name choice aside, these leftists, uh, it was run by uh, Cenk Uygur and claimed during the panel, actually, he said he was atheist, he had left Islam, a, he claimed to be a secularist, and yet, take a look at the video. It's at websummit.com. It's at my Facebook page at MZJasser. It's at my Twitter page, Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I J A S S E R. And initially, there were two others on the panel, uh, experts in counterterrorism uh, from institutes in, in London and uh, in Norway doing work anti extremism. And you'll find that instead of dealing with substantive disagreements, Chenk, as the moderator, decided to attack me as the problem because I said that the root cause was the need for Muslim reform. The root cause was the imams, the clerical leadership, the Islamist leadership in the West that has continued to radicalize our population by providing the, the nutrition of the precursor movements, Islamism, which may be nonviolent, but they are the natural precursor to violent islamism he refused to say that and actually continued to debate and yell actually shouted me down that christians have killed millions more even in the last century called hitler a christian extremist and tried to actually the debate was punctuated the media picked it up that former msnbc host quote-unquote minimalized the role of Islamic radicalism in the current situation of violence across the planet today and tried to blame Christianity for Nazism. That's exactly what he said. Now, this is the debate. This shows you the degeneration of what we can have as productive debate. Now, I think, obviously, I'm still glad I went. The panel, I think, shows that many in the left are so hopelessly wedded to an extreme moral equivalency that is ahistorical that doesn't own up to the time in history that Islam is in as we're entering our we are in our 15th century and theocracy continues to dominate almost every islamic establishment while christianity has separated church and state and now has secular republic democracies secular democracies republics in the west that give their people blind to religion, united in a moral code. Yes, based in belief in God, based in Judeo-Christian beliefs, but not based in an identity movement of Christianity. Yes, those movements exist, but the core rule of law is one based in what is the history of John Locke, Jefferson, Madison, and not just Christian Reformation. The Christian Reformation was the basis for that, and we talked about that on our panel. Now having said that, that is where it degenerated and I think while there was so much potential, I think at a, at a gathering of 50 to 60,000 people that got together at websummit.com about massive technologies, artificial intelligence was discussed uh on uh self-driving vehicles, uh ways to to fix uh pollution, so many different technologies that might be available for Power to use alternative energies, which I think would be one of the greatest national security uh, victories is to marginalize the need for oil, natural gas, huge central power systems that fortify, neutrify the Middle East is our dependence on oil. So these things are so many solutions that could have come out of Web Summit. But I have to tell you, it's a bit discouraging to see the the domination of the liberal mentality. What do I mean by liberal? Not the liberalism that I'm trying to preach and reform. But the leftist identity politic that looks at the prism of what's happening in the West dominated by left versus right in America or in Britain or in Europe versus anything happening in the rest of the world. That liberalism... itself as a defense of the individual versus the tribe. That the survival of the republic, of democracies dependent on recognizing individual rights over collective rights. When we come back, I want to talk more about the opportunities lost that hopefully I began to chink at the outside of the metal of identity politic of the left. Websummit.com. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back.
0: Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio
1: Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about technology, the websummit.com that I attended in Portugal. Made some good contacts, made some good networking. I think it's going to be a long process. I thought, you know, I went in thinking, oh my gosh, it's just fantastic to be invited to this. Uh, I'm going to... Um, be able to build relationships with instantly folks that want to virally make the message of reform spread, that instantly understand uh, the need for our message of the Muslim reform movement to get out, the need to marginalize the tyrants and the dictators in the Middle East. And unfortunately, was, I was met with many who, a few understood it, some who didn't care, others who just could couldn't understand what I was talking about because to them, religious issues, political issues are just irrelevant. And yet when I tried to monetize it and tell them that, well, remember these movements all are going to use use technology in order to viralize and change societies and those markets are all going to be open. I mean, look at WhatsApp and all the other technologies that are part and parcel of these changes. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, money to be made there, so that the the economics didn't work of it. Um, so, ultimately, it was uh, beyond challenging to get them to engage often on the issue. and When they did, some of them were certainly very savvy about it. The keynote speakers on the stage from one after the other talked about it in lofty ways. The, the impact that new technologies, artificial intelligence, will have on the future. I read uh, a few days after returning a piece in the Wall Street Journal about the the hype of virtual medicine. And it reminded me, it reminded me, that at the end of the day, while technology can speed up certain changes, and as it has done in my practice of medicine, the hype of virtual medicine has shown us that things might normalize, might prevent errors, might help improve data collection. But it hasn't changed quality. The hype of virtual medicine has not changed quality. So how did I go from counterterrorism and Muslim reform into medicine? Well, the technologies that can change religion will not do it without human relationships changing, without the touch of human emotions, of sensitivities, without True tribalism ended with major wars in the 15th, 16th century and on because human nature struggled to maintain its current power structures that at the end of the day, as we see now with the influence of bots, Russian uh, uh, cyber threats and and Chinese threats and, and other aspects, autocrats will continue to use the same technology that human beings that are individualistic use, and they will often then become more powerful because of those technologies. That ultimately real reform and modernization is going to take the long slog, if you will, of communication with our human our fellow human beings with changes in localities. And most of the studies on radicalization have proven that the internet is simply one of the final steps in operationalizing militants, but most of the radicalization starts locally at the local delis and neighborhoods and mosques. That imams that may not be saying, oh, go join ISIS, all of them. Most of them do not say, go join ISIS or, or go strap this belt. But they're talking about Jews in a very inhuman way. They're talking about Americans in a in a In a a fascistic way, they're talking about ISIS in a supremacist way, Islamist in a dominant way. So all of these things are radicalizing ideas that need to be confronted on human-to-human basis. And once we get that human-to-human basis right, we can viralize that into a technology. But you can't first create technology and obstacles and think that somehow that's going to solve the problem. And this week I got some pushback on a position I took, which was that, you know, the countering extremism project. New York Times wrote a piece about how they finally got a success because YouTube was removing every video of Imam Anwar awlaki And, well, yeah, Aulaki was is is a fascist enemy of the state who I believe appropriately was targeted and killed by our drone in 2010 in Yemen. He had been on video declaring a war on the United States. He had uh, uh, has radicalized scores of Muslims, and his videos continue to radicalize. Now, there's no doubt that had he had a YouTube channel, it should be removed. Had he had uh, 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 any video that shows a, a predilection for, for Muslims that recommends that they join Islamist militant groups or commit acts of terror, that should be removed. But he had videos on the life of the Prophet Muhammad, the, uh, um, many of the precursor to the violent Islamism, the nonviolent Islamist ideology that's anti-Semitic and other things, but should it be removed? Mein Kampf, I'll remind you, is still sold. Which bookstores profit from that? I, I don't know. But there is some educational value when we want to teach our youth to become pro-liberty, pro-freedom, pro-American. How do I educate them about what is Islamism? What should they not be? You can't tell them, well, don't be what this, I can't tell you what a lucky is because his videos are gone. I can't show you his books because I'd want to buy one, but you know, I can't download it anywhere anymore. anymore. I-, I don't know where to find it. Now you may say, well, there's still access to, it. we'll just take it off YouTube. Well, I'll remind you that Prager University now is suing YouTube appropriately, I believe, because its videos were taken down, because the YouTube people felt that they were controversial and beyond their criteria. That criteria is about what? About constitutional rights, liberty, freedom, uh, free speech what what you look at uh, Dennis Prager's write up on that and what their lawsuits about is YouTube simply a private company or does it now become because of its size a vehicle for the common place discussion and and a controller of free speech. That is one of the biggest debates of the time, but I will tell you that at Web Summit I wanted to have those kind of conversations, and there's very little little of it. Why is it, I guess the question I want to leave you with is, why is it that most of the conversation about web technology, about social media, is so dominated by liberals? And I don't mind liberalism. I work with our Muslim reform movement is is, is Bipartisan is uh, uh, a a joining of uh, conservatives, liberals, feminists, gay rights activists, and others who believe that the biggest problem of today's century in radicalization is political Islam. And the solution must come from all forms of Muslims with a diverse set of opinions. Not a monolithic form, but a a multi-faceted approach from left and right. But this web summit seemed to be... A lot of liberals from the American political and European political standpoint who didn't want to address, they don't mind addressing disruption in Christian thought and other things, but when it comes to Islam, oh no, they're a minority, we can't defend them. This is a problem. The identity politic when it comes to Muslims is a, is a problem that is a huge, if not the number one obstacle to us being engaged in modernizing and reform. Now, listen, I'm not advocating that Awlaki's videos not be severely limited. But if I, for example, if you have a video of Awlaki reading Dr. Seuss, should that be removed? Does that radicalize Muslims? It might. <laughs> I don't know. But. There's a slippery slope there. What about all? How did Awlaki himself get radicalized? I believe he got radicalized learning from the Muslim Brotherhood, learning from um, Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Kutub, Yusuf Qardawi, Tariq Ramadan, all these Islamists, be them violent or non-violent, radicalize them. Do you understand that if you take the words of Sheikh Awlaki, you will find very, very similar sentence structure and content coming from Imam Qardawi, whose videos are all over YouTube. So once you start removing non-violent videos, no matter how supremacist they might be, you then start down the slippery slope. Now they would say, well, what about the advertisers who don't want to pay YouTube to have their ads stuck next to a fascist like Olaki's face? That is a great point. I wouldn't want to either. If I'm advertising for an American Islamic forum for democracy or my own medical business, whatever it might be, I wouldn't want that next to that. There must be ways for algorithms to do that, just like I can pick which program on Fox News or CNN or CBS that my advertisements appear next to. There should be a mechanism technologically to decide which programs your advertisements will appear next to and which ones they will not appear next to. That's what the debate is, but not having it removed from the public domain. I think once we start doing that, corporations enter into a mechanism of marginalizing the ability of us to learn from the content available on the Internet through Google or elsewhere. Google is a private company. Their Google search is supposedly able to give me access to every every piece of information across the planet. If they start blocking things under the name of national security, how can I learn from what's evil so that I don't become that, so that my children do not become that? We need to have access to these things. Yes, Europe has hate speech laws, etc. I don't think that ultimately nonviolent hate speech should be restricted. I think it should be marginalized. I think it should be made radioactive. But access to it, I think, should be maintained. Corporations should be protected from being tarnished with that. Absolutely. But major conduits of that global transmission of information will be abused by the tyrants of the world in order to say that they're preventing militancy, when in fact, the king of Saudi Arabia will prevent my allies from getting speech spread by saying that that is Islamophobic, that that is anti-Islam. And yes, as militant as the facial figures are of people like Olaki are, if they have nonviolent speech, I believe it should still, its access should be allowed. We need to figure out how to defeat that speech rather than simply saying we deleted it and it's gone. It will not be gone. They will continue to use it. This is Udy Jazz, We'll be right back on Reform This.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Let's switch gears a little bit. And uh, this last week or so, there's been some news coming out of Syria, out of the Middle East, that somehow... First, let's give credit where credit's due. Raqqa has fallen. ISIS's control of Raqqa has ended. And they were mass exodus. Now, they were given their weapons to take with them which we'll talk about in a second but the bottom line is is that Raqqa now has been regained the question is under whose authority it may actually be under the Syrian democratic forces or is it under the regime bottom line is it's no longer co- it's no longer controlled by ISIS where did they run to many of the ISIS people were destroyed by our air attacks and by European air attacks. But at the end of the day, Raqqa is no longer under ISIS control. The caliphate, the so-called Islamic State, if you will, assumed to be on the edge of defeat, is on the run for sure and is as weak as it's ever been. But the bottom line is that the ideology, the jihadization of many of these militants in Syria and Iraq continues. Um, you know, in Iraq, uh, the fighting in Mosul, Iraq's crucial special forces lost forty percent of its human and military resources. So Iraq's army is already significantly mil- is already significantly marginalized by virtue of fighting the, the the battle in Mosul. So yes, ISIS is on the run, but it's going to continue to regenerate. It'll call itself something else. The jihadists are continuing to 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 spread like a cancer of unknown proportions. We fought them in Niger, which is what that was about. We fought them in 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 Yemen that the 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 battle now is 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 growing between the Saudi backed forces of the Yemeni minority Sunni government and then the Houthi backed Iranian forces in Yemen. The jihadization of every battle continues. Now, some skeptics are, are saying, well, fine, they're out of Iraq. I'll let them go back into Iraq, which is where they went, and let the Sunnis kill the Shia, and they'll continue to kill each other, and we will get the popcorn. I'm sorry, that's not how that story ends. Their constituency, whether whichever side wins, is 1.6 billion people. So you either take the side, not militarily again, but you either take the side, of the non-Islamists, the secularists, the liberals, against the Islamists, be they Sunni or Shia, or if you decide not to take any side and get the popcorn, then the Islamists are going to win, and you're going to have Iran, you're going to have Saudi Arabia, you're going to have Pakistan. All these Islamic Sharia states go from corporate Sharia states that some are allies, some are enemies, to all being part of a militarization, a jihadization of a viral ideology that will suck us in. So the transformation of these societies needs to be on our radar. We continue in the short term, whack-a-mole, not only individually as we go from terrorist cell in the U.S. to Germany to Britain, to within the Middle East, to whack-a-mole from Al-Qaeda in the Arab Peninsula, Al-Qaeda in, in Africa, Al-Qaeda in Syria with ISIS and others and al Nusra, and Jamaat, Islamiyah, and all the alphabet soup of Islamist groups. And they say, oh, the caliphate's done. The caliphate's not done. The neo-caliphate today is the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which many of which are our allies. Saudi Arabia, where the OIC is based out of Jeddah right now, is our ally we just handed $160 billion to. So listen, I'm not saying to implode and end all of that but the long term strategy needs to be anti and counter Islamist. Short term strategy needs to shore up a balance of power which prevents regional conflicts and promotes internal domestic revolution. Promote regional stability. Promote domestic revolution. How do you do that? Well, you obstruct foreign interference. You obstruct Russian, Iranian interference in Syria. You obstruct Saudi interference in Syria and Yemen. You obstruct... Look at what Egypt... Egypt has less interference than most countries. Why is that? A, they don't have as much regional desires as the ideological Wahhabis do. But we have also had a a i believe a better relationship with the egyptian government ideologically than we have with the saudis and that's all relative it's not great but it's relative so as we look at long term solutions i think it is it is so essential that we not blink as ISIS is on the run, that we begin to harness even greater. As this vacuum now is created in Syria, it will be filled with a stronger Syrian genocidal regime. It'll be filled with stronger peri-ISIS Islamists. It'll be filled with a stronger empowerment of Russia, with it, with its still base in Tartus. It'll be filled with a stronger Hezbollah, as we see now. Why is Lebanon falling apart? Many people have asked me that what's going on with Lebanon? Why did Hariri resign as prime minister? That nobody (laughs) really fully knows exactly what happened. There's even some conspiracy theories that Hariri is uh, uh, under house arrest, which he didn't seem to be, but he was sweating profusely as he was being interviewed by the AP reporter in the video that recently came out. But... As bizarre as that interview was, it doesn't really make sense that a, a very close American ally would abduct a prime minister, force him to resign, with the United States just basically sitting silent on that. That and Ambassador Haley and Ambassador our ambassador to Saudi Arabia and uh, our Secretary of State Tillerson, I doubt that that all of that would be happening with two allies. Now, if we were talking Iran and Russia and others, then that could all be happening. But this is allies of the United States, so I doubt we'd be that misinformed or uninformed. What is happening? Perhaps I think the part that makes the most sense is that Lebanon has long now, for the last few years, been basically annexed and part of the Shia Hezbollah crescent through Syria and Iran. Assad has become a client completely of Iran. Hariri in the scheme of Sunni Sunni power families in the Middle East was not a Wahhabi, was not a militant, if you will, and was not going to continue to take orders from Hezbollah and Nasrullah. So ultimately, he may have lost some financial ability, but I think he lost the support of his military. So he had nowhere to go. Went to Saudi Arabia, said he was going to resign. Resigned, if you will. Now he's saying he's going to go back. Is he lying? He hasn't gone back yet, but we'll see what happens. But the bottom line is, is the simple, simple message. Lebanon has become Iranian-controlled. Israel's fear is happening, which is that Iran now controls Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and the entire Crescent and will continue its belligerence imperially in the region. Will it force a conference with the Saudis? I don't believe so. I think that they realize that the cost would be too high that the United States would shore up to protect Saudi Arabia. But what do they regionally want to do? The rub may come in Yemen to understand how much they're willing to give. in Yemen may be testing some of that. Watch the Al Arabiya station, some of the Saudi propaganda arms to understand exactly the way they're approaching this. Uh, I think some of the good that has come out of the more autocratic coup. Actually, there was a coup that happened in Saudi Arabia since you and I spoke last. That coup included a solidification of MBS. Mohammed bin bin Salman, I'm sorry, the young aspiring now crown crown prince who imprisoned many of the more viral Islamist-supporting princes, including bin Talal, who I, I believe... As much as I don't like the methods, there's a lot of blessings to say that somehow the financial stream from bin Talal into Georgetown, into Harvard, into Islamist educational coffers and Dawa movements has been cut. I hope that's true. I pray that's true, that that money has ended. The methods, I don't believe you can get good. Just as I, much as I loved having the Muslim Brotherhood Term ended immediately by the British, by the uh, British, by the Egyptian military. I don't think that method was right. A, we now proved my concerns in that El Sisi has been just as oppressive, has continued to put journalists and others in jail, and that is not going to allow the the laboratory, the culture of reform necessary when you have a dictatorship that victimizes and allows the Islamists to claim victim status. It doesn't work. Oppression does not yield modernization. It never will. That's why you have no products coming out of the Middle East, no free market ideas coming out of the Middle East. Again, back to why did I go to Web Summit? Technology breeds modernization. Free markets are necessary for that technology to do that breeding. Laboratories of free thinking need to exist, which is why revolutions need to happen, and you can't defeat bad ideas through oppression. It just won't work. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be back with our last segment shortly.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. I don't want to. I wanted to be Attorney General. I did blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Quickly, I, sir. We only have so much time. Alabama. Can you I'm, yes I'm trying no. to answer the question. I'm for the good of the Alabamans. And write me in. That's Sessions. S. E. Crooked letter. Crooked letter. I. That's Jeff. The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Sudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment of this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I want to bring us back full circle. Last episode, before I left to go to Europe two weeks ago, um, we talked about the the synchronicity, the 500-year mark, in which on October 31st, Saipov completed this act of radicalism, of jihadism, vehicular jihadism in Manhattan, that happened to just fall on the 500th anniversary of the Christian Reformation. And I call this program Reform This because I think Islamic reform is necessary. Now, will Islamic reform happen in my lifetime? There have been a couple pieces now on Christian Reformation that have come out recently, and I will tell you that one of the most thoughtful pieces was in the National Interest. It said, that basically, it was entitled, and I want to tell you about this piece because Clearly, I'm, I'm not the expert in Christian Reformation, and I want these words to inform what you and I are talking about. And it said, Christian history shows why an Islamic Reformation is harder than it sounds. What do we mean? And he goes on in this piece to talk about the fact that, yes, Luther's assault on the Catholic Church, and this is Joseph LeConte that wrote this, by the way, Luther's assault on the Catholic Church was at its heart a theological one a debate about the authority of the Bible and the true path to spiritual salvation and peace with God. Against the dictates of popes and princes, Luther introduced a new source of authority into medieval Europe, individual conscience, guided by a fresh interpretation of Scripture. And he said, My conscience is captive to the word of God, he declared. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So, There's no doubt that the debate was a theological one. But Lacan makes it clear. He said, even Protestants, with their own new dogma, and Catholics agreed. Heresy was a threat to social peace. The safest remedy was execution. And nevertheless, Calvin's infamous role in the trial and death of Michael Servetus, condemned and burned as a heretic in 1553, shocked the conscience of some of the Protestant community. They accused the Genevan authorities of adopting the Popish ways of the Catholic Church. So ultimately, it was a second reformation that was necessary. And he talks about a separation of church and state that would enshrine religious freedom as a natural and inalienable right. Like Luther's campaign, this one also originated from within the Christian community. Roger Williams, William Penn, Pierre Bale, John Locke, all the early defenders of freedom of conscience considered the teachings of Jesus their moral lodestar. All appealed to Scripture to imagine a new kind of commonwealth, a pluralistic society that guaranteed equal justice under the law, regardless of religious belief. So the point here, to bring us full circle from last episode, that I see my role in all of this, and the role of Muslim reformers that are anti Islamist, and why our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, is not really dedicated necessarily to the theological portion, which we will facilitate absolutely, but to the more important political reformation, which enshrines the importance of God in society, enshrines the importance of morality and virtues, and ethics, but does not give it a particular faith's identity or theological derivation or interpretation. Such the separation of mosque and state. That's our mission statement. And that's what I'm trying to do here, is have a conversation with you, as you should with your Muslim friends, about their need to wake up, that Islam might need, it's Martin Luther, it might come along. There are many candidates out there. But Islam needs, number one, it's John Locke. It's Jefferson's, it's Madison's, but it's John Locke. That individual, that leader, those ideas that can begin to go viral and, and actualize through technology, as I've spoken to you earlier in the program, actualize through personal relationships, as we talked about earlier in the program, actualize locally against tribal networks, that will separate political dogma and religious dogma. Because dogma will reform eventually, but the separation of them will allow each others to reform. If they remain bound together, theocrats will dominate. If you don't have a society based in common morality, common good, common benefit from good over evil, Yes, you could make an argument that the house of society needs to have a religious basis, sure. But when you say it has to have an Islamic basis or a Christian basis, it becomes impossible to divorce it from scriptural exegesis. A pluralistic society guarantees equal justice under the law. That's a new kind of thought. And Muslims need to begin to figure out how to marginalize the theocrats in our society, and our communities. We've not done that. We have a long way to go. But I would tell you that when you begin to have conversations about religious freedom with your Muslim friends, don't allow them to embrace this sort of concept. Well, Islamic democracy will be different than Western one. Islamic democracy can. Sharia is like, as Imam Abdul-Rauf, the biggest apologist for Islamism in the West Imam al-Raouf talks about Islamic Sharia being like the Declaration of Independence. Whatever. Whatever it is, baloney, to make this equivalence. Yes, perhaps you can make a sense that somehow the ulama can come to a consensus of thought in a democratic way, and you can make a a a, a modern interpretation that ijma, which is the sense of coming together in a Consensus of scholarly opinions can be done democratically, but those are still elites that will not allow somebody not educated and formally educated, I should say, in their sharia and their clerical leadership to ever have a seat at the table. That's an oligarchy. So their oligarchical interpretation of Islamic democracy is not a democracy. That is a corporate controlled board of directors that might vote, but the sheep that work for them are slaves of their state. That's not the second revolution that happened in the West. And I think this is important, the second reformation, the revolution that free thought needs to be pushed. That's what I wanted to start at Web Summit, and my participation was simply a drop in the ocean, but hopefully we'll continue. We're trying to build networks to do that. Engage your Muslim friends in spreading the messages that we do on this program and elsewhere. Join us on social media, the Muslim Reform on Twitter, at Dr. Zudi Jaster on Twitter, EIF Democracy, on our website and on Twitter. And together we can advance this. It is no small feat. Yeah, there might only be three or four million Muslims in America, but these ideas need to be done here in this laboratory that cannot be done in the Middle East, and then operationalized in the Middle East and across the world where Muslim-majority countries are so far fighting for some of these ideas but being suppressed by tyrants that are using these technologies to fend off real reform, to fend off real liberalism. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless you. We'll see you next week.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network.